0: well hi again this is Heather Bayer and this is episode number twenty five of vacation rental success and I'm delighted to be back with you again doing another solo show today because I spent some time over the long weekend looking at and I'll say long weekend we've just had a three day weekend here in Ontario for uh Victoria day uh, they call it the may two four weekend which always throws Many, many people, because it fell over the weekend of the sixteenth and nineteenth of May. next weekend is may the twenty fourth um and when I first came over to canada i I could not understand this it was It was always known as the May two four and it it just didn't quite gel with me didn't quite understand until somebody said, "Well, this is the first weekend of the summer. This is when everybody takes off to the lake, the cottage gets opened." And the back of every car is piled with cases of beer, two fours, as they were known. And I'd never even heard of that expression, a two four. So, whether that's correct or not, I'm not, not absolutely sure. But it seems that that is the origin of calling it the May two four weekend. It is the third Monday in May, which at times can be May the 24th, but uh, this year it definitely wasn't. It was a bit cool over the weekend, and the bugs are out in force, but it seems like everybody had a great time. We had about uh, over 40 families booked into properties for the weekend, which was pretty good since it's been so cool, and the spring has been so late in arriving, and everything seemed to go off very smoothly. Before I get into the topic of, of today's show, I want to talk a bit about expectations, because we sort of hit a bit of a uh, a challenge in the past in the past month or so with the spring coming so late that many of our cottage owners have not been able to get up to their properties and put their docks in and get the watercraft out and this was I mean in my own place we actually don't have any docks because the the docks that were put in last year were both both the Osprey Cottage and Kingfisher Cottage they were both swept away in the fast moving water uh, when the thaw came so neither cottage has a really usable dock but in talking about expectations we did contact all our guests and let them know that there was a the potential that they would arrive at their property for for the long weekend and find there was uh, there was that the dock hadn't been put in. And having given them that uh, that prior warning, we had a call on Saturday morning from a guest at a property. Uh, he'd arrived on Friday night and he said it was completely unacceptable that the dock was not in place. He couldn't get to the water. He had planned to go to the property to fish for the weekend and his kids were looking forward to fishing uh, in his in his words, it was devastating, an absolute disaster. And you know, to, to some extent, I understand it, it was disappointing. So uh, we got a hold of the owner, who said yes, he'd been there on the Wednesday and he checked out the dock. The water was far too high to put the dock in, so they had just um, they just prepared the property for for the weekend and just gone back to the city. However, the uh, the guest at the cottage said that other properties around them had got the docks in and although I explained to him that every dock is different, some are floating docks which may have been in the water all winter and uh, and others are of, of different structures that perhaps don't depend so much on water levels for, for installation, uh, he, he really wasn't very happy at all. Um, fortunately, the owner uh, who lived about two hours away, was very proactive and he and his wife got in the car, they drove up to the property and they said to me that even if they weren't able to get the dock in, they wanted to, to talk to the guests and just explain what the situation was, why they may not be able to get it in for them and see if there was an alternative they could, they could offer to get these kids fishing. Well, what happened in fact was that they were able to get a partial, just a portion of the dock in, uh, which just went a little way out in the water, and it was all the guests needed. They didn't need the full ten sections or ho- however many there were, which it would have taken half a day to put in. They just needed a little bit of dock stretched out in the water, so the kids got this feeling of of really being on vacation, standing on the end of the dock with a fishing rod. So, so that was that was great. That was massive proactivity on the part of the owner um we have we we hire every year a law student who becomes our guest services manager for for the summer and and this was Jacob's first go at, at dealing with uh, with one of these issues our guest services manager does does exactly that he uh, he deals with problems and issues and complaints and anything that might arise uh in and around a reservation uh, throughout the summer so jacob cut his teeth on that one a little bit and he was able to call the guest a bit later on in the day and just say has you know has this worked out for you and uh, and our guest was more than happy he said everybody responded really really well uh he he was a little bit sheepish about his reaction his devastation at not having a dock he said it was just a surprise because he hadn't really read the email that we'd sent to uh, to warn of the potential of there not being the facility there. So all in all, that worked out very well. But it was it was quite interesting that um, you know I, I think every organisation, every rental agency, every owner will face this at some point when guest expectations override everything else. And, and sometimes their expectations are so high that they don't see anything um, around it. And if it doesn't happen for them, they're going to be pretty upset. So it's always worth considering every eventuality and putting something in place to deal with it. Anyway, the topic of today's session is um, sort of hypnosis, I guess, using hypnotic language to create great emails and vacation rental listings. So just to give you a little background, in the 1990s, uh, I spent, I mean, I'm a a psychology graduate, and and I did postgraduate work in um, hypnosis and hypnotherapy, and I spent three years studying it for my postgraduate psychology diploma in psychotherapy and counselling. And then uh, after I'd been in private practice as a psychologist and and, um, psychotherapist for a few years, I moved into the management training field and started my own company as a management trainer. And we specialised in marketing and communication skills for um, senior management. And woven through all my seminars, my presentations and, and workshops to these managers was a focus on the power of language to create relationships with peers, with clients and wider networks. And, you know, looking back on what I learned in those three years of the hypnosis and hypnotherapy training, uh, it really had such a wider impact on my career after that, and it still does. And I now want to share how this actually works in our business of vacation rentals. So, In this episode, I'm going to talk about how you can use these methods, and these are proven methods, to create what I'm calling hypnotic listings, and how to write emails that magically entrance your potential guests. And we're gonna talk about how you'll just know whether it'd be most effective to call, to email, or to text your prospective guests. So I'm going to uncover the secrets to using language in a way that draws guests to look in depth at your listing and then click over to your website if you have one or click to book. So for the next half hour or so, I would like you to, to ask you to suspend your judgment, listen all the way through to the end to hear all the information I'm sharing and then imagine what it would be like if all your listing or site visitors were so impressed that they booked immediately. So take a moment to think about that. But here's a few things we're going to cover. We're going to cover how you can identify your own language preference. And believe me, we all have uh, a way we prefer to communicate using our senses. We're going to look at uh, and appreciate how words and phrases will impact different people in different ways and how you can adapt your communication to suit somebody else's preferred method. And we'll look at why this will make you a better communicator with everyone, not just your rental guests, but with absolutely everyone you communicate with. And then we'll move on to talking about how you can create a really compelling listing with just three easy steps. We're going to pinpoint the clues in an email that you—that will help you reply to that email with a laser-like focus and when to make a telephone call instead of writing an email. I'm gonna give you the top tip for creating instant rapport in responding to an email that can turn a casual site visitor into a booker. If I've got a bit of time, we're gonna talk about how to use these techniques to create the best arrival for your guests because it's not just a language. You can put all this into very practical practice for creating a first impression. So we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. And even if you think it's not something that you think you could take seriously, I promise that at the end of this episode, you will be noticing the way we communicate a bit better. And you may even be interested enough to use some of these techniques. So we all process incoming information in different ways using our senses. Obviously we see things, we hear things, we feel things, we taste things, we smell things. Of course, we use all these senses in tandem, but generally, we do actually have a preference for using one more than the other to help us make sense of our world. So when we communicate with someone we don't know, if we use language that covers all the different senses because we don't know which of of their senses they prefer, we have a much better chance of creating rapport with them. But to understand all this, we really should start with discovering your major sensory preference and if you've ever been in the teaching or training world you'll know of the different ways people prefer to learn and this what I'm going to be talking about is very very similar. So we're going to be looking here at the major the three major preferences and as I say if you're a teacher or trainer you'll know them as learning styles. They're visual, auditory and kinesthetic which you could call the touchy-feely one. Let's think about how you can discover your major preference. Now let's start with visual. Very visual people have a very keen visual sense. You'd enjoy art and perhaps love color. You might like to draw, you might like to paint, take photographs, and you really enjoy the act of composing a good photo so it really looks good. And you're probably really good at Photoshop and, and using Photoshop to make, you know, an, an image look even better. Now, the words and phrases you might use more commonly, and this is something that you could just test out with the family. Go through and say, do I use these? Do I use any of these words and phrases any more than another? And here's some visual ones. Do you say, I really like the look of that? Or, yeah, I get the picture. Imagine that. You know, we really need to focus on this problem. Have you ever said to somebody who's perhaps um, not feeling too well, "Oh, you look drawn," and maybe at work you're looking at a project, and have you ever said something like, "Well, oh, that's a bit of a sketchy plan." Do you see that each of those phrases has visual concepts in it? We're looking. We're, we're, we've got words like "look," "picture," "image." Focus, drawn, sketchy, and there's many, many more that could help you identify if you're a really visual person. The second one is auditory. So let's say you're a musician or you just love listening to music. You always have earbuds in and you're generally playing music all the time in the car and while traveling anywhere. And it could be because you're listening to this podcast and you like audio books, that you're an auditory person. If so, you probably prefer to talk to people in person over the phone rather than texting or emailing. And I get this all the time. You know, you somebody, you know, I get a call from a, a potential guest and we've been emailing backwards and forwards and then out of the blue, they call and say, do you know it's really so much better to talk to somebody? That's your clue that they are they have an auditory preference. So you really need to speak to them over the phone rather than sending long emails back to them because you're going to connect much better with a telephone call. So here's some of the phrases that might ring true for you with an, if you have an auditory preference. You say, call me. I love the sound of this or that. You've forgotten something and, or or that, that wonderful phrase, that rings a bell. Yeah, that rings a bell with me. Or that really resonates with me. I had a friend once who used to say all the time, yes, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Or, yeah, I'll listen out for it. Now, these are auditory people and the the auditory words they're using like call, sound, rings, bell, resonates, hear and listen. So thirdly, we get to what we call kinesthetic. I love the word, but a lot of people will just use the expression touchy-feely. It's better thought of as the touchy-feely sense. And this is you if you're someone who likes working with their hands. You know, You could be a sculptor or you like doing pottery, maybe a gardener. Maybe you're employed as a massage therapist or a physiotherapist. When you're learning, you really like hands-on approach to actually do the task rather than see it demonstrated or hear it explained. So you really are hands-on, touchy-feely type of person. And you'd use the phrases such as, that feels great. Oh, that's really tough. This is a challenge. You might use the expression, when you're not feeling so great, I feel drained, drained of energy. I'm under a lot of pressure, and please give me a break. So do you see how this is working? So the uh, the words we're using, things like feels, tough, challenge, drained, pressure, break, these are all touchy, feely, kinesthetic words. Do you get the idea? I'm actually I'm actually putting a link into the show notes to a questionnaire that you can go to, to discover whether you're predominantly visual, auditory or kinesthetic. So when you've finished listening, take a look at the link and find out where your strengths are. Let me just say that last sentence again. So when you've finished listening, take a look at it and find out where your strengths lie. Now, perhaps I'm laboring the point a little bit here, but this is an example of using visual auditory and kinesthetic words to get a point across and and touch on every sense. A really good writers use this all the time if you pick up you know pick up a book, have a look at a magazine, just read through a paragraph and underline or highlight the different sensory words and phrases that you come across and you'll often find that if something really captures your attention then it's because the author or the writer is really really skilled at using all of this all of these techniques. In appreciating how your words and phrases impact different people in different ways I want to use an analogy and it's it's about broadcasting a message and when whether it's by email phone or face to face we want to be on the same wavelength as another person. So if you think about it, if you ever tried to communicate with someone, just felt frustrated because you couldn't get your message across. I mean, usually, it, this is, I was talking to one of my colleagues in the office this morning and she has a teenage son. And I'm sure any of us with teenage children have have gone through this, you know, communication issue we have with with teenagers when all of a sudden you just cannot get the message across. And it's usually because we are broadcasting on a different wavelength. When I was involved in training back in the UK, uh, I used to use this analogy about broadcasting and being on different wavelengths. And we, over there in England, we had four major radio stations on the BBC. And each one was very, very different. So Radio 1 was primarily pop music. It was very up-to-date uh it was funky it was it was it was for younger people quite loud bouncy music station and and it would be playing the top um you know the, the, the most popular music out there radio 2 was and still is i mean the, these stations are still out there doing exactly the same as they were 30 years ago so radio 2 was easy listening music lots of 70s 80s 90s stuff um really my era and I still listen to Radio 2 and I tend to broadcast myself on that sort of wavelength, which is, you know, the, the easy, easy to get along with, easy communications type of wavelength. That, uh, that to me is Radio 2. Now, Radio 3 was the serious station. Lots of classical music, poetry reading, political debates, um, some you know, quite heavy discussion and and i always equate you know some of the very serious people that uh, that i come across and meet as radio 3 types and then there was radio 4 which uh, which i also listened to at uh, sometimes and it um it played uh, documentaries chat shows interviews short stories and a long running soap opera called the archers which has been going for absolutely ever if i've got any uk Listeners out there, I'd love to hear from you in the comments whether you are still listening to The Archers and how many years you've been listening to it. And uh, and do you see yourself as a Radio 4 communicator? And what I mean by this, now, it, it was in the training course, I would ask my trainees to identify with a station, one of these stations they like to listen to, and then pair up with another person who preferred another, uh, who preferred a different station, and then discuss how well they would get on if they communicated solely on the wavelength of their preferred station. So you've got the Radio 1 type who is the bouncy, a little bit loud, up-to-date, modern, conversing with our Radio 3, very classical, serious poetry reading type. So I suppose if I have any, if there are any fans of the Big Bang Theory out there, it's a bit like Penny communicating with Sheldon. You know, if you, if you haven't watched the Big Bang Theory, it's, you know, it's worthwhile tuning in to a couple of, uh, of episodes just to see this, uh, these communicators trying to uh, create rapport with each other when they're coming from very, very different communication styles. But in the training courses we were doing, the general consensus was that unless someone was willing to move to a different wavelength, then communication could be very difficult. I'm not really going to go into much into whose responsibility communication is. I fully believe that the person who is delivering the communication or initiating the communication holds 100% responsibility for the response they get, and a good communicator will take that responsibility because they can off- alter their communication style to meet the needs of the person that they're communicating with. But we will come back to that because I'm currently writing an ebook on this topic and I will go into that in much more depth about my favourite expression, which is the meaning of your communication is in the response you get. But now I want to look practically i want to see what use we can practically make of all this and how we can put it into practice so here's a here's a text of a couple of listings i chose at random this morning and uh, and i was just looking at home away in the san diego section so here's one enjoy the beach walk to mission bay beach and enjoy the san diego sun and sand the sound and smell of the bay are at your front door Enjoy the fireworks of SeaWorld every night from the beach at Mission Bay. We also have beach chairs, umbrellas and beach towels for you. And compare that with this one, which was the next listing down. The property is a two-bedroom, one-bath unit, three homes from the beach. The unit is in the middle of the three ground-floor units in a four-unit complex. The entire building was remodelled and tastefully furnished recently with all new furniture, beds, appliances, linens, dishes, gas barbecues, patio, furniture, etc. Can you tell the difference? The first listing engages all the senses with sight, sound, feel and even the olfactory sense by mentioning the smell of the bay. The second one describes the layout, location and just gives an idea of the standard of the property but says nothing about the sight, sound and feel of the place. I know which one I prefer. So here's one, another I wrote for one of my new listings this week and I'm just going to read it verbatim off the listing. Imagine an early morning on your dream vacation. The mist is rising off the lake, and as you step onto the deck, the still water beckons you for a cool swim as the sound of a loon rings clear across the bay. A couple of deer graze quietly nearby, and chipmunks chatter along the shoreline. Magical mornings don't get much better than this, but once you're settled in at Rocky Top, you may experience them every day. Do you know within two days of listing that property, we booked four separate weeks? And there's probably more things at play here. There's some fantastic photographs on on the, uh, on the listing. But from a couple of guests I spoke to, one said she just had to book it because the description was, in her words, entrancing. She said she'd imagined herself outside with a morning coffee Sitting on the dock watching the mist rise and hearing the loons. So she was she was almost repeating verbatim what I'd said in the listing when I said, What made you choose the place? I, I don't think you often hear people say, Well, I well, I chose the place because it has two bedrooms, one bathroom, and some new furniture. It may be a deciding factor, but we want to capture the imagination of guests and get them really thinking how wonderful it would be to actually it's experience it for themselves. Now I I just you know I looked at those four bookings and I thought wow, that is a result. All so all we've done is just post them on our website. We didn't um focus on them at all. We didn't make a song and dance about it. They they just they just happened. And so I'm thinking that the text we're using has a lot to do with it. So the three easy steps to creating a compelling listing. And um, They are simply, number one, use visual language, number two, use auditory language, and number three, use kinesthetic or the touchy-feely language in that listing. So you're going to write it to appeal to any person whether they process more through their sight, their hearing, or their touch and feelings. So just think about what they'll see, what they'll hear, what they'll feel feel, when they stay at your place and just weave those words into your description. So if you listened to episode uh, 11 of the Vacation Rental Success podcast, I talked to travel writer Erin Robb and she described how to write like this in um, the episode we called Words That Sell. So if you want some more information, it might be useful to go back and listen to that one too because she talked about, you know, how you start with a really powerful headline and then move on to your first sentence which should lead you on into the second and then the third and then the next paragraph and really draw people into the whole picture of your property just by using words, and it's quite amazing. And for any, for any of you who, who like to read and who read an awful lot, you will appreciate how powerful words are at uh, creating attention and appeal. And we can all become writers like that just by paying a little attention to how we use the sense words and phrases. So let's talk about emails a bit now. Because there's so often a clue in an email as to the writer's communication preference. We often get a ton of emails and don't really, really look at them in much detail. I mean, certainly as a um, as a rental agency, we probably deal with up to 200 emails a day. And that can be even more than that at very busy times so we perhaps don't spend as much time looking at the emails as as we could do but if you're a if you are an individual owner you've perhaps got a little bit more time to do this really read through the email and see what jumps out at you to tell you what your writers what your potential guests communication preference is because if you can pick up on that and respond in the same way, then you can create instant rapport with them. I'm sure you've heard of body language thing where people say you can create instant rapport with somebody face to face by mirroring their body language. So, you know, if somebody's standing there talking to you and they fold their arms, then you fold your arms as well. Or if they touch their nose, then you touch your nose. Um, and it is the sort of popular psychology body language thing that comes across in so many books and, and TV shows that says you can, you can do this just by mirroring. It is actually a proven technique, but it has to be done really, really well if you're doing it face-to-face. So it's actually so much easier if you're picking stuff out from the written correspondence and able to um, direct it back to the mirror the type of communication they're using and mirror it back to them. Um, because it's not as obvious, so here's some examples. So you get an email from a potential guest who says, "Your place sounds really, really great. I'd love you to tell me a little bit more. Well, the clue there is that they're an auditory person, and they want that they like to communicate by phone. They really do to really create rapport with that person just immediately pick up the phone. As soon as you get the email, pick up the phone, call them and say, hi, I just got your email and I wanted to call you and talk about any questions that you have. So you're immediately using some auditory expressions. I know this sounds contrived, but you know, once you really get into the swing of things, it becomes just almost second nature to use language that actually covers every aspect of, um, of each different sense. So just think about the, the, the auditory clues you get. Your place sounds great. I'd love to tell you more. Could you call me? Um, let's, I'd, I'd like to discuss it. Those are very clear clues that this is an auditory person that you are communicating with. And the best way of communicating with them is by phone. So let's say you get one that says, I really love the look of your property. Could you send me some more pictures? Visual people always want to see a ton of photographs. That's where they're getting the majority of their information from. It's from the the, the whole visual thing. Of course, always have another set of pictures beyond what you've got on the listing that you can send to them. Another thing to do, is if you have a set of frequently asked questions, make sure it's nicely graphically presented. So, you know, it could just have a nice border around it. It could have some cartoon images or some additional photographs, but something that's nice and colorful and looks really well presented. And that's how you appeal to your visual people. It's a little bit more difficult to identify the kinesthetic ones from an email, but um, often they'll use the expression, would you contact me? Sometimes, could you connect with me? Or they might use um, a phrase, something like, um, I want a comfortable place for my husband and myself to relax and enjoy the countryside. I mean, that really is a clue that you've got a kinesthetic person on your hands. And in response to them, you would you'd come back and answer their questions about availability and rates, etc. And then you might just add in some information about some of the activities they could do. Um, perhaps there's there's hiking and biking in the area, or golf, or because kinesthetic people tend to be fairly active and um, outdoorsy. So there's a few, just a few examples, a few techniques for using. The correspondence that people have sent to you to create rapport with them by replying in the same using the same sensory preferences as they've demonstrated to you so here's one more tip and this is one i i learned years and years ago in a course that i i went on i don't even remember whether it was it was one of the psychology courses or or maybe a business course or a customer service course or something like that but it was a tip that stuck with me ever since then and it's about how to create instant rapport with somebody who has just emailed you and it's so simple and it's it goes back to this mirroring technique and it's simply using the same greeting that they've used so if somebody says hi there it's okay to go back with hi there and then use their name hi there john if you're greeted with hello then you go back and say hello and whatever their name is same with dear if somebody starts their email off with good morning and by the time you reply it's the afternoon then you'd use good afternoon and then their name now it's said that this does create this unconscious rapport because you have um, you have mirrored the greeting that they've given to you and the person who sent you that message just feels that you have responded appropriately, although they don't know it, if you get my drift. So all in all, let's go back to what we've discussed. We talked about creating listings and, and it's very simple. You're just using words that people can see, hear and feel. So always be observant, listen look and feel for clues and you're going to become a better communicator. It's as simple as that. So I've got a little time remaining and I just want to talk about just moving off from the the whole written thing, writing a listing, writing an email and just see how these techniques actually transfer to the very practical aspect of your guests arriving at your property. And you have no idea. You've got maybe a group of six people arriving at your place. And you want them to get this really good first impression on their arrival. And of course, you don't want them to have any surprises, which is pretty much common sense. But you need to find a way to appeal to every person that's arriving, whatever Their communication or their learnt communication preference or their learning style or whatever that however they wish to process information. So, the simplest thing is to make sure you cover every aspect of their senses. So, I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly. And I did this in um, the seminar I did at the Home Away Summit last year. The presentation was called The Power of Wow. And it was about wowing your guests with that first impression. And I'll put a link to the post I did, which was in fact, really the post was, was the entire um, text of my seminar. And you'll see what I mean in a little bit more detail. But here it is very, very simply. For your visual process processor, you want to create a great visual impact when they arrive that means and something simple like your front door must be sparkling clean because they are going a visual processor will see any anything that um is out of place or is um not so appealing so you have a, you know, a nice a really nice sign is something that they will really notice flowers having flowers outside having flowers inside using color in throw cushions and rugs and throws and that sort of thing. Colourful artwork. All these things will be really appealing to your visual processes. For those who are more auditory, then the simplest thing is to make sure there's music playing when they open the door. And we do this in our place, and I've said this over and over again, and we get so many comments about this. When people arrive, they open the door and there's classical music playing. And it never fails to to appeal to them. And, And they comment over and over again in the reviews on that one. You want to make sure it feels good. And the simplest way of doing that is making sure it's the right temperature. So if people arrive in the winter, the place should be really warm and toasty when they walk in. If they arrive in the summer, then the air conditioning needs to be going. It needs to be cool. Because those people who are real kinesthetic processors will really feel it. If they arrive and it's too hot or too cold and they feel uncomfortable, not a good impression for them. And I'm just going to touch briefly on the, on the last two. It should smell great. Olfactory processors, and I'm one of those, I have an extremely keen sense of smell. If I walk in somewhere, I, if somebody's used one of those plug-in air fresheners, I actually almost feel sick to the stomach because I such a strong smell. You know, be careful about using very strong disinfectants in bathrooms because to an olfactory processor, that will really turn them off. I recommend that you just use a little bit of bicarbonate of soda in a dish and add some essential oils, maybe some lavender or um, some of the the orangey or lemony verbena type of um, essential oils. Creates such a nice fresh smell and it's very, very natural the other one to appeal to the other sense is the gustatory sense and you do this these are these are the foodies these are the people who love to cook who will absolutely love it if you've left some homemade uh homemade cookies or homemade squares or or something that's tasty for them and you know if you don't leave a tasty treat then the next best thing is to get some menus from your local restaurants and put that in your welcome guide. Your gustatory processors will really like that and that will make a great first impression for them. So that was a a very quick tour of how to make a great first impression on your guest's arrival by using all their senses. So you're communicating with them even when you're not there. So to wrap up, you can now write a listing that's going to appeal to all the senses. You're going to pick up the clues from an email ad and or a email correspondence and respond accordingly. And you can also ensure that you create a great first impression. So thank you for sticking with me to the end of this and for hearing me out. I'll look forward to reading your comments on the show notes. And if you go to cottageblogger.com forward slash R.S. 25 and make a comment about this. I would really love to hear what you think about the whole concept of hypnotic writing and, and using these hypnotic techniques in attracting and appealing to your guests. And also watch out for my new ebook that will be coming out at the end of June that goes into this in much more depth and it really will help you to become a hypnotic Writer and create these listings that that will sort of magnetically attract people to look further. I mean, if, if all you want them to do is to click over from your listing to your website, then that's almost a sure way of getting them to do that if they've been attracted enough by the text you've used. And do watch out in the next half hour just in case you start clucking like a chicken, because that means my post-hypnotic suggestion has worked. No, just joking. So thanks again. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.